Welcome to the Huff and Stuff podcast, where common sense is being brought back to our society one episode at a time. Relax. Turn your radio and headphones up. The show starts in three, two, one. All right, welcome back to part two of this episode. Scarlett, we had some technical difficulties when we were recording this the other day, so we have to go for round two today. So for that, thank you for coming back again to redo this part two. Um, the good part is it wasn't an operator error. It was yes, the SD card. Difficulties. We, had to, we had to format it. So again, thank you for doing this again for take two. Um, so where we left off, Mike had called up to Rochester, I think, and was telling them that we're pretty much running out of options. Um, we need to pick somebody off the list, and I'll let you take over from there with your story and yes. continue the saga of what we talked about last segment. Yes, yes. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad we were able to get this done. So um, we were in... August of 2019, and we had run out of options. We just put out the request for someone to donate if they were interested in being a potential liver donor. And we knew that some people had sent in um, their information to the hospital in Rochester, but we didn't know who they were or anything like that. So, um, at that point in time, I had been on a really heavy and intense chemotherapy for approximately four months or so, and it was really starting to take a toll. Yeah. And we also knew that it wasn't going to work for very long. Right. Your body builds up a tolerance. The cancer is very smart. It will figure out a way to reconfigure itself and adjust itself so that it can get around that treatment. And sadly, that is what happens and why people have to change treatment plans. But in August, we were out of options as far as treatment was concerned. Mike called Rochester Strong Memorial and he said, I don't know how much more she can take. We need to move a little bit faster. At that point in time, their process was they get in a potential candidate, they look at everyone, they, it's very tedious, and they process everyone the same way. So Mike called and he said, we have to do something. You need to pick someone off paper because we have to move more quickly. I don't think I asked you on segment one, but how long was the time frame where you had actually put that thing out on social media, you know, trying to find a donor? How long was the time frame from that and then when Mike called them? It was less than two months. Okay. Um, had they been in contact with you saying we've had candidates no. or nothing like that? Mm -hmm. No. And not to my knowledge, maybe more so to Mike. Um, it, Cancer is such a vicious roller coaster. You're constantly, you have skin anxiety, you have treatment anxiety, and transplant was another added anxiety, I guess, so to speak. 
and Mike had really just kind of started, he took the reins on all that. I was, I was focusing on the day. I was focusing on what is it going to take me to get through today? Right. What is it going to take? What is it going to take for me to get through this next treatment? Sure. And Mike, of course, you know, he's, he's such a planner and he's looking at the long term. You know, how can I keep her here for another month? How can I keep her here for another two months? He's planning. And me, I'm, I'm a fly by the seat of my pants. And, yeah. and that's really at that point in time, it had gotten so bad. I couldn't think about tomorrow because I just wanted to make it through the day that I was in. Right. And we knew that potentially this, this may not happen. I mean, there's always a possibility. So um, Mike called them. He said, you have to pick someone off paper. You need to move quickly. She is not going to be able to handle this much longer. And so I don't really know what they did or how they did it. I just kind of imagine they looked at all the people that they had talked to and they said, okay, this person has the right blood type. You know, they answered all the questions the way they needed to answer it. Let's move on this person. Right. So um, at the beginning of September, I want to say it was like around September 10th or so, um, we got the call that I needed to come up there for all of the pre-surgery stuff that they had a potential donor and that the potential donor was also going to be there during that time, but they were going to do everything that they could so that we would not run into each other. Two birds and one stone, just try to make y'all both there at the same time and try to make this as right. speedy as possible. Right. So it's like, okay, well, and I didn't know, I didn't know if it was a man. I didn't know if it was a woman. I knew it wasn't anyone in my family because I mean, we would have talked about it. Sure. You know? And at this point, though, nobody in your family, colon cancer had never run in your family. No. Genetic-wise, there had no. never been really any history of that. Nope. At this point in time. No, I was just luck of the draw. So there's no history of it. Um, it was just so random at 29 years old. I, we don't understand why we could ask it till we're blue in the face. Right. But everything happens for a reason. And I think sometimes through our difficulties, you know, when you when you're your at your lowest is when you can get on your knees and get closer to God. Sure. And then God has a way of bringing you to him, you know. At those lowest points. Right. Right. And it, I think through the, the bad, you truly see all that's good. Yeah. Because it's easy to focus on all that's bad. So we went to New York in September of 2019, and we went through all of our testing. It was day two. I knew that the potential donor had been there. I think they got there one day prior to when we were there, and they were going to be leaving one day earlier than we were leaving. So um, we were in the hotel that morning. We were getting ready to go to the hospital. We were sitting, we were having breakfast. And all of a sudden, someone taps me on the shoulder. And I hear a voice, familiar voice, fancy seeing you here, you know? 
And I turned around and it was Chaz and Kristen Cannon. And, you know, it's, we needed a hero and here we had a real life hero. You know, he's, he's a fireman. He saves lives, you know, on the regular. And he had sent him his paperwork and he was going to be my donor. So tell everybody who is Chaz in relation prior to this, you know, y'all, him seeing you up in Rochester, what, what had been the relationship between y'all? So, um, and I think you mentioned in the first portion of the episode, um, our dads were City of Columbia firefighters and now our brothers are City of Columbia firefighters. And we met, my family and I, we met Chaz probably around 2012 or 2013. Um, he is on shift with my brother Jordan in Valentine at Station 20. And um, they have worked together, become brothers. You know, you when you're on shift for 24 hours, you get pretty close. Sure. And so not only were they friends, but he was like a brother to my brother, Jordan. Right. And so um, there have been times, you know, we would have certain holidays and they would join us for dinner. So we knew them from, you know, from that. Um, we knew his family, just very sweet, godly family. And, um, but this wasn't somebody you hung out with on the regular. No, I mean, like, no, yeah, okay. no, I mean, I didn't have their phone number in my phone. Sure, sure, sure. You know, I, I think we may have been social media friends, but no. So, what was your first response when he tapped you on the shoulder in Rochester? I think I just cried. I honestly, I, I, everything was such a blur. I just remember thinking this might actually happen. Yeah. You know, because at the back of your mind, maybe this isn't supposed to happen. Right. Maybe this isn't God's plan. Sure. And I knew in my heart that if it wasn't God's plan, it wasn't going to work out. Right. You know? And so I think at that point in time, I kind of got hopeful. <laughs> um, there had been so, and there, it was, Kids are such a roller coaster. There have been so many disappointments and hard pills to swallow throughout all of this. Okay, this this might actually happen. Yeah. And, you know, shocked. I mean, I think that would probably be the, the best way to describe it because he's not he's not a family member. He he doesn't owe us. He you know, he didn't have to do any of this. And he checked all the boxes. And he checked all the boxes, even boxes we didn't even know about yet. You know, I mean, just help-wise, he had made choices over the course of the past year that was setting his body up to be my liver donor. Yeah. And, you know, so much more of, like, the story and everything that he did and went through um, came out after the fact. So I'll try to save that for later on, but, um, he came up to us. I was, I was floored. I was shocked. I was thankful. We knew we really couldn't say too much yet, you know, because things were still kind of in the works. And so 
they were leaving to come back home. And it's kind of funny because you think about all these things after the fact. It's like, I hope they don't have a plane crash. I hope he doesn't get ran over by a bus. Right. Um, you know, I hope he doesn't take any unnecessary chances. Like, please don't go skydiving. No paper cuts. Yes. Don't <laughs> please don't do anything crazy. And um, they tentatively set us up for surgery was going to be um, at the end of October. And from that point, things just got, everything started happening so quickly. And during all this, I'm still getting chemotherapy. And still taking the cocktails. Yep. Still going for treatment. Still you know, pretty sick as a dog at this yes, point. Yes. Yes. Still just like, Lord, please, something's got to give. And so um, the wonderful thing about this form of treatment, uh, transplant, you don't go back on chemotherapy when you get done. You're done with treatment. As long as there is no cancer, you don't go back to getting chemotherapy. And just to reiterate, at this point in time, I know you wouldn't show on the stats, but only three or four people had had this procedure right. done in the United States at this right. point. Right, right. This was very, very new. It was very... I think for the particular hospital that did my transplant, they needed to do mine in order to, I don't know, check their boxes for them. Sure. I think I can't remember exactly what the certification is called. Um, so when we first met with them at the beginning of the year, I would have been, I think like the second or the third, but by the time we got to actual transplant, I would say it was like the third or the fourth. And I, Mike is the numbers man. I would have to ask him. I, and I'm sure at this point in your time with everything going on, it was risky. You knew the risk it would take, but probably at that time, you probably like, I, I don't care at this point. Right. If it makes me feel better, right? you know, do what you got to do at this point. Right. It, well, and that is probably one of the number one questions I get asked. Why? Why transplant? Why something so extreme? Yeah. Because it's not a known way to treat colon cancer. It's the unknown. Right. And my response is, why not? I didn't mm. have any other options. Yeah, options were out. Right, right. And I knew that we were at the end. I had been very blessed and very fortunate to make it for as long as we did. And this was all that was left. This, this was the only thing on the table. So when all this was coming about, though, what were the doctors telling you the risk could be for you and for him having this procedure done? Well, you know, of course, anytime something like this happens, I mean, you can't live without your liver. Sure. Um, and, you know, like for kidneys, you can do dialysis and it can kind of help keep you going. But you have to have your liver to function. Right. And... Um, there are there are things that we knew was in the works later on down the road. You know, we knew about transplant for this type of stuff. But honestly, Nick, when we whenever I first heard about it, I didn't think we would ever see that here yeah. in the time frame that we needed to. Sure. So any major surgery, of course, there's always a risk of death. Right. Um but I mean, just so many other things that they have to warn you about. I mean, they, they have to do a psych evaluation. You know, are you crazy? Why would you want to give part, a portion of your liver to this woman? 
And, you know, along with all the blood tests and all the scans and everything, you know, it was just, like I said, it was a complete whirlwind between that date and finally making it to transplant. So you got the news, he was a donor. How long before that and the surgery had taken place when you saw him there getting breakfast that morning? Um, So they scheduled, we ended up getting our surgery scheduled for October 30th. Okay. Of 2019. And we had to transplant ourselves to New York. We got a BRBO. We moved our staff. Um, you know, we, we didn't know how long we would be there. I think the typical hospital stay is approximately a week. It can be much, much shorter for the donor. Yeah. Um, but the recipient is usually approximately a week to two weeks. Um, I was very lucky and was there for 21 days. Um, There was some, just a few little issues that popped up. You know, there's a bowel leak, um, different things that could go wrong, of course, popped up. But the surgery was approximately 14 to 16 hours. Um, And they, we both went into surgery and then there's like a little room connecting the two surgery rooms and they're running back and forth and yelling out, you know, this is where we're at. This is, we're cutting now, you know, and cause everything had to be done. They had to get the old liver out and bring in the new liver and it all had to flow. I uh, went back and listened to the segment that got deleted last time, but there was a part in there where you said it, also, God was in this too about um, Chaz having an extra port part of the liver, and there was like a lining or something. So this is one of my favorite parts. Um, Chaz had an extra large liver. Nothing was wrong with it. It was he just the Lord gave him a little bit extra because I guess he knew on down the road he's gonna have to give away some. But when they removed my crappy liver. They almost replaced it, you know, weight perfectly with what they took out. They were able to take enough from him to replace what I had. And then the other thing about it, um, 30% of the world's population has um, an extra um, valve. It's like extra valve or extra vein. I I cannot remember. I'm sorry. I can't remember what it's called, but 30% of the world's population has this extra vein. Um, And they can do transplants between people who one has it and say the donor, one of them does not have it. They can, they can make it all line up, but there is an additional risk of a leak or, you know, something not And 30% of the world's population has this. I am one of those 30%. They got Chaz on the table, cut him open, got his perfect little liver out, and Chaz is part of the 30%. Wow. So, I mean, just every little thing, I mean, it's the fingerprints of God and has been on it. Sure. And um, we had the surgery. Uh, It was very very cold. It was very long. We were there in New York for a long time. And, um, you know, just, and Chaz did incredible. He did remarkable. And his wife, Kristen, she is, she is such a hero. 
She's she's amazing. She's she's so much like Mike as far as details and right. making sure everything, all the boxes are checked and making sure everything's lined up. And Kristen is she's a rock. She's yeah. she's amazing. She's she stood there. She stood by his side. She supported his decision. Maybe not in private, but you know, on the front after a lot of prayer. She okay. We could do this. Stand by your man. Yes, yes. She's definitely. And she's so amazing. And then the, the Cannon family, the entire Cannon family, they're my liver-in-laws. And they just went above and beyond when they didn't have to. So the extensive amount you went through, chemo, the cocktails, when you woke up from surgery, though, what was the first thing you felt was different? Or you could see the difference immediately. Was there? Did you feel a difference prior to what the surgery was? Yes. Yes. So I think when it's such a gradual decline, and for me, it was so gradual over the course of five years, I, you don't realize how bad you feel until you actually feel good. Right. And, you know, you try to stay positive and you find the good and I feel good and it could always be worse. But when I woke up visually, my eyes were clear. My skin was clear. I mean, everything it's like, wow. Even I think my dad, when my family came in, there's like, it was visually a difference. It's immediately just yes. the wife been put back into you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so I guess my next question is, you know, here we are, 2022, you had this surgery in 19. I spent three years. Three years. And during 19, though, and I remember right, this was during COVID, um, about that time, 2020. I remember you coming back, you had a weak immune system, and that took a while, too. And I went back and listened to the second half, and, you know, had, I think you'd said, if you'd waited six months, the surgery would have taken place with all the COVID precautions, too. It would not have taken place. Um, COVID really hit us in March, April of 2020. Yeah. And... When that happened, everything shut down. I mean, we talked to people who were waiting for transplants who had this stuff scheduled and they didn't really know what to expect. They didn't really know what was going to happen next. And things just sat on hold. And if we would have waited six months from that October 30th date, I don't know if we would be having this conversation, Nick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely an amazing story. I mean, if y'all don't know Scarlett, Scarlett's one of those people who's always on the go. And I think I said this, but I, when I called her to schedule the recording of the podcast like the night before, she goes, I just got through walking and running a four-mile turkey trot like right before Thanksgiving. I mean, she never stopped. She's always on the go. If you know Scarlett, like I said, she's always go, 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 and always had a positive attitude throughout everything. Everybody that's met her. But her story is definitely remarkable. Um, Since the surgery, though, are there, stat-wise, has this become a more option? I guess, is is the surgery becoming more common now since you had it back in 19? Have there been more people? Has there been a rise as far as deliver donors and transplants in the surgery you had done? I would definitely say that the word is out there. Yeah. It is still not, uh, uh, I guess, 
it's not something that's offered when you go to talk to your oncologist. Sure. Because they don't know it. They know cancer. They know chemotherapy. They know radiation. They know about microwave ablation. They know about, you know, all these different things that they can do to treat cancer. But I don't believe that transplant is really something that oncologists know and understand. Sure. So a lot of people that we talk to who are in similar situations, their oncologist will immediately say, Oh, that's, you're not eligible for that. Yeah. And it's just because it's not understood. A lot of places though, you know, back in 2019, there was only maybe three or four here in the USA. Now there are many, many places here in the USA that are getting programs going. They see other hospitals, other places doing it. And so, Hey, this might actually work. These people they're surviving. You know, and, and like I said, it's commendable what you did to even go out there and be a guinea pig for this. You know, I mean, here you are three years later, five, you know, three years ago, they were giving you up a death storm. Here you are talking, we're doing our podcast here. It's great. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I am still um, monitored every month we go in, they monitor you very closely. When I had the transplant, um, Statistically, it had come back to every single person. Um, so I know I said there was only like three or four here in the USA, but there were other countries that were doing this. So statistic-wise, in every single person that had this done, the cancer came back 100% at that point in time. But they monitor you so closely Um did you say usually in a five-year period? Right. Is that what it was? Right. Okay. So here we are, three years in, or two more years. I know that that statistic has gotten much better. Okay. Um, as time has gone on and they've done more, they've got more data, they've done more research. Um, I know they have fine-tuned those statistics much, much, you know, further than where it was in 2019. Sure. Well, through the whole process, you've had a great support system through all this. Scarlett's mom sitting here in the room with us today. Um, who, who's been the most inspirational to you? Who do you want to give a shout out to through all this? Because, I mean, and, and one thing I wanted to go back on too, even when my brother works at the fire department, or both of our families are in fire department, I remember when all this was going on though, I mean, even the firemen were volunteering their time for Chaz and giving up their sick time so he could have all this done. It just goes to show there's still good people out there yes. who are willing to do anything for anybody, you know, and that's the, like you said, I mean, it kind of brings you back to that Bible verse, no greater love with no man lay out his life for his friends. You that's know? right. And it's, um, it's amazing. There's people still out there who have that, but who, who's your most inspirational person? Who do you want to give a shout out to through all this? I have to say my husband and our kids. And then of course my family, um, you know, without Mike's encouragement every day, you can do this. You've got to do this. You know, dragging me out the house, you're going to treatment. There were probably some days I would have just pulled the covers over my head and said, I don't want to do it today. And I did. And he didn't let me stay there. Right. So, right. you know, and then of course our kids, they, 
your I think my son has been my biggest motivation because they don't understand parents having bad days. Sure. And I think I said before I didn't want him to ever be I didn't want him to ever become resentful or bitter if I didn't make it. Or, you know, I didn't want him to think that just because life is not perfect, it's an excuse to have a bad day. Yeah, that's good. Um, what have you learned through all this? Life lessons. You know, I, I love the bad stuff. <laughs> um, you know, things happen, and I'm like, these were the moments I prayed for. Yeah. And I know people who would give anything to, you know, do their children's laundry or clean up all the dirty dishes. You know, they're, they're all the little stuff that you so quickly become impatient with or aggravated with there's mamas that are at Lexington hospital right now that would give anything to be able to go home and do those things for their children and their family. So I think more than anything I've learned, even, even the tough stuff, even the hard stuff, love it. You find joy in the stuff that you think would break you down. And I'm grateful yeah. I'm grateful for that. I remember when you came back, you're like, the birds sound different, the sun's yes. brighter, yes. the sky's bluer, <laughs> everything. Just just wake up and you just, the stuff you took for granted beforehand doesn't. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I, I still, after I woke up from surgery, everything felt so surreal. Like I am living someone else's life. This is, it felt like I was looking at myself and my life from the outside. And I hope that feeling never goes away because I am so grateful every single day. Not a day goes by that I don't wake up and think to myself how grateful and thankful I am for the blessings that I've been given. Yeah, um, it's good. You know, the, and to your point, just driving down the road, you roll down the window and I never thought about the wind blowing your hair back. The music, the birds, the, the clouds, just everything. It seems like everything is sharper. You, right. You're looking at everything through a black and white movie, and then all of a sudden they add Technicolor, and it's just all of the things that you don't see. Right. It's just, it's in a sharper focus now. That's good. Very good. Um, with uh, the holidays, we just had Thanksgiving, Christmas is coming up, you know, holidays are supposed to be a happy occasion, but sometimes it's sad. Um, there may be people listening to the podcast who have cancer or they've just been diagnosed or is wait, maybe waiting for a donor like you. What do you, what do you want to tell them? Advocate, 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 educate yourself, be that Google person, be the person who looks things up. Don't discount the things that are happening in your life. Don't be like me. <laughs> you know, if something is doesn't feel right, if if something, if you think something is wrong, call your doctor. If your doctor is not willing to listen to you, find a new doctor. I'm so thankful we had a doctor and my husband advocated and was persistent enough to say, we we need this done and we need it done now and I think between he and my mom they they were taking the doctor's office by storm and I know she's 29 she doesn't need a colonoscopy until she's older but she's gonna get one right so you know and if they had not 
have done that. I don't, I can't say that I would have done that myself. I'm, I'm pretty easy going. I'm like, okay, well, wait, but don't be that person. Advocate for yourself. Do your research. If you have something that doesn't make sense, figure it out. Yeah. Um, we talked about in the first segment here, the early warning signs, symptoms of colon cancer, what do they need to do to address these issues, where do they need to go, ignoring the signs, um, kind of go back over the basic symptoms, what type to look for and all that. So at 28, 29 years old, I didn't know what to look for, but after the fact, I was checking all the boxes. Um, if you have a change in your bowel habits that last for a while, um, including diarrhea or constipation, or just a change in the consistency of your stool. There's something that they call ribbon poop. And basically, if, if your bowel movement looks like a spool of ribbon has been held up, and just, if it doesn't look right, something might be wrong. Right. If you have rectal bleeding or blood in your stool, abdominal discomfort, cramps, gas, pain. And again, this is stuff that lasts for, you know, longer than a couple of days, a couple of weeks, something's not right. Um, a feeling of constantly feeling like you need to go to the bathroom. Your bowels are not completely empty. Uh, if you have weakness or fatigue, unexplained weight loss. I've lost a lot of weight, but in my mind, hey, I'm always trying to lose weight. Right. You know, I'm on the persistent weight loss plan. So I didn't really think about any of those things as, as warning signs. Yeah. And looking at some of these stats here, um, we talked about before, I mean, cancer doesn't discriminate. No. There's no age range. It, it doesn't matter who you are. You could be young, old. A lot of times we think like our grandparents, but right. I mean, 28 is really young. And looking at some of these stats here, it says if you were born in the 90s, you have two times the risk of colon cancer and four times the risk of rectal cancer than the most than most born in 1950. It says here one in 24 develops colon cancer. Um, and also says here 60% of colorectal cancer deaths could be prevented with screening. Yeah. So um, don't ignore the signs. Uh, Scarlett, you know, she's very advocate now for, you see the signs? Go get it checked. Go get a colonoscopy, please. I don't know how true it is. I remember when my sister was in nursing school, she used to tell me a healthy turd was a floating turd, but I don't know if that holds true with all these symptoms. But uh, <laughs> go get tested if probably, something ain't right. Probably a good point. Yeah. Some, something doesn't feel right. You're seeing the signs. Don't ignore it. Right. Um, you know, go get that checked out. Let me ask you something. A lot of people may be listening to this podcast and they are looking for resources, maybe to get in contact with you. Obviously, I'm not going to give your personal information, but what are some resources maybe that they want to talk to you individually? What, where, where can they go to reach out? Absolutely. So we are on social media. Um, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Um, there is a Team Scarlet's Cannon Liver Transplant page. We post a lot of information on there. Of course, you can reach out to my personal page, Scarlet Kaskabauer. Um, that's on Facebook. And then Instagram is Tata is the same. Um, I'm on there, Scarlet DL84. And we also have um, our... Uh, Cancer, Liver, Laugh, Love page on Instagram. So please reach out um, if you have any questions, if there's anything you want to know more about. Um, if I said anything that strikes a nerve, if you know someone, whether you were diagnosed 
five years ago, five days ago, five minutes ago. Um, and you have any questions about what we went through or what we faced and how we navigated it, we want to share our story. Sure. You know, I think the biggest thing, and I know Chad and Kristen feel the same way, and they're willing to talk to anyone who wants to hear about it, simply because if this helps one person, then it's all been worthwhile. You can't tell me that all of this is for naught. Well, you kind of kept it a secret from me, and I'm kind of glad that we did this second segment now, too, because now I can mention it on the podcast, but you recently did a video with Chaz, yes. your brother, you. Um, where can they see that video at on Facebook? Um, so Harvest Church here in Lexington um, did an interview with both myself um, Chaz, Kristen, and my brother, Jordan, and they did an absolutely incredible job. It was for uh, Thanksgiving and talking about God's fingerprints, a story of grace. Um, it's um, the Harvest Church. It's on YouTube and on Facebook. Um, they did a really incredible job yeah. putting this little video together. It's, it's not super long. I want to say it's maybe 30, 35 minutes. Right. It's very informative and um, just a testimony of God's mercy and love. Yeah. If you haven't checked that out, I watched it. was about crying. I was home by myself. I don't cry in public. But, uh, yeah, go see it. Very inspirational story. Um, Scarlett, anything else you want to tell anybody else for the holidays? Anything else you want to give a shout-out to? Anything else you want to talk about before we sign off here today? Uh, I can't think of it. I think you've asked me all the right questions. I guess if anybody has any questions, they can reach out and ask. Okay. We're pretty we're pretty open about everything, so there's nothing off table. There's nothing off topic. You can't ask us anything that we're not willing to talk about. We're good. Um, again, I appreciate you doing this. Take two. We've had this is going to be a two-part episode, so listen to it. If you know somebody with cancer or somebody who's maybe just been diagnosed or waiting for a transplant, please share the podcast. Um, you can check us out on the Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. Check us out on the Instagram page, Huff and Stuff Podcast. On there, I'll be posting the upcoming dates for the episodes as well as the guests we'll be interviewing. Christmas is just around the corner. If you'd like a Huff and Stuff Podcast t-shirt, reach out to me on the Instagram page. We have sizes medium to extra, extra large. Let me give a shout out to the Invisible Man, Mr. Staley, who does the audio. Thank you very much for keeping us entertained and flubbing out all of our bloopers and mistakes when we do them here on the podcast. Um, the holidays are coming up. Let me reiterate what Richard and I talked about a couple podcasts ago. Remember to lock your cars during the holiday season. Don't leave any valuables in your car. Lock your vehicles. Remember, if you get big items, don't put the boxes by the roadways. That's a red flag for people riding around the neighborhoods. Lock your cars. Don't post on Facebook when you're out of town. That's just a red flag for people to come to your house and steal your stuff. And if somebody calls you saying your relative has been arrested and it's a lawyer needing money, it's probably going to be a hoax. So keep an eye out for that. Remember, y'all, to re-rack your weights. Put your shopping carts back. I know during the holidays, that's one of our themes here, one of our uh, put your shopping carts back. Don't leave it out there in the middle of the parking lot. Put it back. Grab a couple. Put it back in the uh, bin where it's at. Uh, Re-rack your weights. Remember, no still and answers. Support your mom and pop businesses, your veterans, your first responders. We will see you all in the next episode. Y'all be safe if you're traveling. Take care. Be blessed. Thank you very much for listening to the show. You survived. 
Apply if necessary. Remember to put your shopping cart back where it belongs. Re-rack your weights. And don't be a lab rat. And no is still an answer. We'll see you on the next episode. Until then, be blessed.